Boom, beautiful people. Welcome to the Ultimate You podcast. Our guest today is a legend in the industry. And uh, I've been a massive fan of this guest for a very long time. His book actually changed my life. So I'm so excited to share his knowledge with you. Our guest has a PhD in nutrition. He also has a CNS in nutrition, a degree in psychology. He's an incredible author and educator. He's a regular on TV across the USA and Australia. He's written some incredible books. You must go and get these books. The Great Cholesterol Myth, Smart Fat, and my personal favorite, Living Low Carb. Our guest is the one and only Dr. Johnny Bowden. I hope you enjoy. Mate, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I really, I mean, I want to speak to you for a very long time. And uh, I'm excited to have this opportunity. And what draws me to you is not only how clearly intelligent you are, but the energy and, and effort that you put into getting your message out there. I see you more as a, a warrior rather than <laughs> an educator because you're fighting the good fight with a mission. And you can see that in everything you do, the passion and how you speak and how you teach. I guess I want to wind back to the start. Tell me, how did you get this passion, like such an intense passion for the truth and nutrition? <laughs> uh, that's a very, it's a complex question. I'll try to answer it simply. Um, I got into health and fitness as a second career. Um, I was a recovered, I was an alcoholic, a drug addict, every drug you can imagine I was addicted to. I was a professional musician. I changed careers, got off of those drugs and alcohol 30 years ago yes. and began trying to transform my own body a little bit. And I worked with a lot of actors and they all knew how to stay in shape. So I, out of boredom one day, just said, you know, take me to the gym, show me how you do some of these bicep things, whatever they are. Yes. And I, I was one of those guys, Andy, who just got bitten by the bug. You know how like you see a change in your life. Mm. You, you see, it's not just about losing weight. I look 20 years older than I look now. And that was 30 years ago. And yeah. it was like, I, I, I really did. And, and I couldn't run a block. And all of a sudden I have more energy. My eyes look clearer. And I became a zealot. I said, I got to teach this to everybody. And I, I loved playing music and I, I had a career at it and I made a living at it. Mm. But when I was able to get this message out, mm. it was like, it, it was just a high I can't even explain. And what happened was I, I started out as a personal trainer. I worked at a gym. I don't have any idea if you even know, your audience knows what this is, but it was called Equinox. Yeah, Equinox yeah. is a huge conglomerate now in in the united states but this was the first one they ever opened the, the erico family up on columbus avenue in new york city and there i was and i walked in and they hired me mm. and i worked at equinox as a trainer for about seven years and ultimately became the dean of the equinox fitness training institute so my career is going well and i am a true believer in what we were taught as trainers which was low-fat diets cholesterol and saturated fat cause heart disease. Um, if it's all about calories and, and the worst of all, if you're doing what we tell you and you're not losing weight, you're probably lying or cheating. Mm. So I believe that we all believe that. Mm. And it was around 1990 or so. And the new edition of the Atkins diet had just been published 91 or something like that. And we trainers, you know, thought Atkins should be 
lose his license. I mean, he was crazy. He was recommending bacon. He was telling people you could eat fat. It was just insane. Mm. And we would have clients at Equinox. I would have personal training clients who would come to me and they'd say, you know, I, I'm just, I'm not losing weight. I'm not getting the results. And I have a friend who went on Atkins and they, they lost all this weight. And we would say, I and all my colleagues would say, you can't do that, man. Yeah. You might lose a few pounds. You might, you know, so are the models that we're training that start their day with cocaine and cigarettes, but you'll die. That cholesterol is going to give you a heart attack. And guess what? They didn't always listen to us. So I, I remember a couple of clients in particular. I want to make sure I'm still on the Instagram thing because I don't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's make sure. Yeah, I'm there. Um, they would come back and they hadn't listened to us. Yes. And they didn't die. Far from dying. They, I remember clients distinctly like it was yesterday coming back over the weeks with clearer eyes and, and with more energy. And you know, as a trainer, you can feel it. You know when something, you can just feel it. And, and their waist was shrinking and their blood pressure was going down and their doctors were happy with their results. Yes. And I, I had a problem as, a psycho as, as someone who had studied psychology. Prior to all this, I had what was called, what is called cognitive dissonance. Mm. Two ideas cannot coexist in the same brain. They can't both be true. Either the Atkins diet kills you, or this guy in front of me is, is living proof that it it's one or the other. He can't be getting better on the Atkins diet. That can't be true. And also, Atkins kills you. Can't be true. One or the other. So I started to question some of what we had been. Oops, I was live. Now, I think I'm out of your live. Let me join. Am I? I may have lost your Instagram live. Am I still on the Instagram live? No, that's all right. Let's we'll stay stay tuned, folks. This has a great ending. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how to. I'm fine. Yeah, lot, request to join. There it is. I must have just got knocked off. All right. Okay. So here we are with these clients who are doing better on Atkins, and we're being taught that Atkins is going to kill you. And so obviously something is not right here. And um, I began to question a lot of what we had been taught, what we had been taught about diet and what we had been taught. Sorry. So I started to question what we had been taught about diet. And yes. the minute I started to talk to people about this or teach it from the stage when I was teaching personal trainers. And I said, you know, guys, we may not have the whole story on saturated fat. Mm. All of a sudden, the entire fitness community started to go, what does he know? Mm. He's not even, he's not a doctor. Yeah. He's barely, he's not even, he's a personal trainer. He doesn't know anything. Yes. Who is he to be telling us that we might be wrong? Yeah. So, the second part of like how I got to here is that I hate bullying. And yes. that has been with me since I was five. And I don't like to be bullied by the medical. I don't like bullies. And I don't like the medical profession when it bullies. Mm -hmm. And I have seen this in the last 15. I mean, I will tell you stories. But the point is, I did have questions about the saturated fat and cholesterol theory. Mm. If these people were doing better, because when you think about it, the only reason we have ever been told not to eat saturated fat, the only reason every dietary organization in the world, in the, in the industrial world, recommends low animal products, low saturated fat. Why? 
because it raises our cholesterol. And what do we all know, folks? We know that cholesterol causes heart disease, but what if it doesn't? Mm. Then what happens to the dietary guidelines? They crumble like dominoes. And I was starting to wonder about this because I'm seeing my clients eat all this fat that the dietitians told us to stay away from. But not only were they not dying, they were getting better. Mm. And then as we started to get silenced yeah. by the medical profession and by people writing letters and saying, oh, these guys are quacks. We went on Dr. Oz, the, the four doctors from Columbia University wrote a letter to Mehmet Oz saying, how can you have these quacks on talking about this stuff? It's obviously not. We all know fat and cholesterol causes heart disease. You and I talked about the Australian Broadcasting Company. They did a documentary on all the cholesterol skeptics in the United States. They came to my house and interviewed me. They showed it on the ABC. People wrote in. They had a publicity campaign saying, if people follow the advice that Bowden and Sinatra give us, yeah. we will lose 31,000 people will die because they'll get off their statins. Where they made that bullshit up, I have no idea, but they did. And they published articles and they campaigned against us. And I don't like bullying. Yeah. So if you ask, where does my passion come from? It comes from not fucking hating bullies. Yes. <laughs> and they are bullying us with this stuff. I, have, I can tell you. I have a, a very close friend who just turned 70. She has zero risk factors for heart disease. She's in terrific shape. She has no body fat. She exercises five times a week, but she has a very high cholesterol. Her doctor told her, if you don't go on a statin, I will fire you as a patient. Mm. You want to talk about bullying? Wow. Guess what happened? No, you got to hear the story because it's really interesting. Wow. So they come, she has me in her ear saying, fire your fucking doctor. And he's saying, I'm going to fire you if you don't go on a statin. So they compromise. Get this. And they agree that she will take a coronary artery scan. Mm. She will do what Ivor Cummings and has been preaching forever. A, a calcium scan, carotid artery. Let's see. Let's stop guessing. Let's see when, if there's any plaque there. Yeah. She comes back. The score is zero, Andy. Zero. Do you understand? There's no... It's, it, <laughs> there's zero. Mm. I mean, I have 23. And mm. I'm, I've got... And, good, you know, and men my age have 99. Yeah. And she has zero. Yeah. She goes back to the doctor. Do you know what he says? I want you on a statin anyway, just in case. Mm. That's what we're dealing with. But, and what's the agenda? That's what I mean, we're dealing why, with. Why push it so hard? Is it, is it just to prove himself right? Or is it the, the financial reward? Or is it... Like, where does, is it the psychology and the belief structures? I mean, there's so much to this and it's a lot of There's so questions. much to it and it's really not really so much a medical or nutritional mm. question as it's a social psychology question. What, uh, why do people have confirmation bias? Why do they see what they already believe? Why do they, when you argue the other side, do they get more entrenched in there? These things have been studied in research psychology for years and this is really what this is. Mm. Veganism is a perfect example. Mm. It's, it, it isn't really, it isn't based on any actual facts or data, it's more like a religion. And you can't argue religion because people feel what they feel. Mm. The problem is that in this area, we should be able to argue about saturated fat and cholesterol because it isn't, shouldn't be based on feelings. But when you have a $31 billion a year industry in lowering cholesterol and prescribing statin drugs, mm. it gets very, yeah, Upton Sinclair, the American writer said, it's hard to get a man to change his position when his salary depends on that position. So I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think that there are many different forces that have inspired to make us think in terms of magical thinking. We take a, a pill and everything's going to be fine and we can eat all the crap we want. Um, and in the belief in the pharmaceutical solutions to stuff. In our book, we talk about what really causes heart disease. And, I, and you, when you really want to talk about passion, I am absolutely sure 
that mm -hmm. the risk factor we identified in our book, which is the same risk factor, folks, that Jason Fung introduced in his book, The Cancer Code, and the same risk factor that Thomas Burkham wrote about when he said why we get sick, we all came to the same conclusion. The number one factor for all of this is insulin resistance. And I'll explain what that is in a minute, but it ain't nothing to do with cholesterol. And insulin resistance can be treated, prevented, or turned around with diet alone. And man, that is not a popular message. Yeah, 100%. And just for everyone's knowledge, the book behind you there is The Great Cholesterol Myth, which a lot of this information is, uh, is in. That's right, John, isn't it? Up there for the Instagram people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, it, 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 and, and I'll tell you what else, Andy, when you think about it, so this insulin resistance, which I hope we'll talk about in, in a minute. Yes, please. Um, but it basically, to, to just cut to the chase with it, so if you don't know what insulin resistance is, you can follow this discussion. It's an inability of your body to deal with the carbohydrate load that you're presenting to it. And it's different for different people, but in the America, we have 88% of people have some degree of this metabolic condition. Now, why is it relevant? Mm. Because if you look at the COVID thing, and you look at the deaths, and you look at the people who are on ventilators, and you look at the people who have serious reactions, there are underlying conditions that make that outcome a lot more likely. I had COVID. I'm not on a ventilator. So there are underlying conditions that make a very, very big difference and make it much more likely that you will have a very bad reaction to this miserable disease. Nobody's saying it doesn't exist. But how you respond to it has a lot to do with the metabolic underpinnings. Okay, every single one of the pre-existing conditions, hypertension, pre-diabetes, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, Alzheimer's, every, lung, liver disease, every one of them is linked mm. to insulin resistance. And we can change that with diet. And that's why the message of this book, I think, is so important. Because not only did we say, stop looking at cholesterol as the be-all and end-all, start looking at what we're doing with our blood sugar and our insulin hormone, mm. which again, I'll explain more clearly, but it's basically about carbohydrate metabolism. Stop telling people not to eat fat. How about looking at the thing that's driving insulin resistance in the first place and getting this epidemic of diabetes, mm. obesity and diabetes. They have the same core. The core is insulin resistance. It's incredible. And it's, an, it's such a powerful message that has to get told and get out there and, uh, and hopefully more people starting to listen. I'm curious, have you found that more people are listening over the last five to eight years or do you feel like the message is still, I guess, falling upon deaf ears? No, I feel, I, this is what I feel. I don't think we will have a, a global realignment of what we think about heart disease and calories and sugar in, in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. But this is what we have noticed. We wrote the book originally in 2011, 2010-11. Um, at that time, when we would present at a conference like the American Cat Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine or something, doctors would come up and kind of whisper, you know, we think the same thing, but, you know, it's kind of thanks for saying that, dude. <laughs> now, there is a very, very vocal minority. And yes, it's still a minority. We're not even close to changing the American Heart Association. That's mm -hmm. not going to happen in my lifetime. But when you talk about cholesterol is not the major promoter of heart disease, that we're measuring it in an antiquated way that doesn't even give us a useful information about cholesterol. When you tell people that we should be looking at things like inflammation, oxidative damage, diet, sugar, all those things, you don't get like, are they crazy? You get a whole lot of people going, me too. And it's still not 50%, but go on YouTube, look at these people who are crusaders for this point of view. 
and it's an anti-establishment point of view and we get pushed down every damn time. But if I get to one person in your audience, that's one more person who will tell somebody else. And eventually we will have more of a, what I like to think of as a woke moment in medicine. We had a woke moment in America about transgender and about women's rights and about gay marriage and about legalized marijuana. We've had woke moments about a lot of this stuff. We need one in medicine. Cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease. The crappy, shitty diet you're eating does. And we need to start paying attention, take our eyes off the ball of cholesterol and onto the things we can eat, actually do something about. Mm, so very true. So very true. And as you can see, folks, the passion's there. And look, to be honest, you need this level of energy to get a message like this across. And uh, Dude, how can you not be passionate about that? If you yeah. see people are literally dying of COVID, for an, which is being exacerbated by an underlying metabolic condition that almost in our country, almost 90% of the people have, and no one's talking about it. Doctors don't even know how to measure it. Of course, I'm passionate about this stuff. You yeah. can stop half these risk factors if you, if you eat differently. Exactly, exactly. And it was worse by COVID because everybody would stock up on the foods that make you fat, sick, tired, depressed, and insulin resistant. All the boxes, all that crap. Oh, Ed, it's so true. It's so true. And I mean, there's so many things that I want to spin off this and what you've just said. Yeah, but I guess first and foremost, you know, with the state of the, of, of the diet, like people's diets and current nutrition, I know in your book you talk about the, the different types of cholesterol. Most people think there's you know, two to three types, and you explain that there's so much more to that. And the testing around the uh, cholesterol is just so off. And would you, would you say that the testing is one of the biggest drivers to the uh, looking at the wrong thing, the negative effects? 100%. Mm. Look, uh, the example I use, especially for millennials and people like that, is the cell phone. Mm. So we all have iPhone 12s or Galaxy 9s or whatever they are, and they're these, they're friggin' computers, right? But what you may not remember is in the 80s, when they had the very first cell phone, it looked like a, it was like the size of a brick. Yeah. And they would show people walking down New York, it was called a satellite phone, a cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was literally the size of like, it, people would walk, they'd be walking like that with an antenna coming up. Okay. Then they come out with the flip phone. Mm. What? Everybody wanted the razor phone or whatever your version of it was. The little, they flipped. Yeah. You had to text three times to get a letter. Maybe you remember that, anybody <laughs> who had that, right? But it was a big improvement over the satellite. Yeah. Would you use a flip phone today? I don't think anybody listening to this is going to use a flip phone for what we use the iPhones and the Galaxies for. Sure. The HDL LDL test is the friggin' Flip phone. Mm. It's the Atari 64 computer. It's Pac and Miss Pac-Man of games. Mm. Mm. In the 50s and 60s, we had a basic cholesterol test for the blood. You went to a health fair. They prick your finger. They go, oh, Mrs. Jones, your cholesterol is 210. That's wonderful because that used to be considered wonderful. 240, 190. Okay, one number. In the 60s, they realized by looking under microscopes and starting to look a little bit deeper that actually cholesterol wasn't just one thing. It kind of traveled in the blood. It can't travel in the blood. It has to travel in a container. The container was called a lipoprotein. And there were actually two kinds. There was a high-density lipoprotein and a low-density lipoprotein. And what does that mean? It means that if you put it in water, the low-density one will float and the high-density one will sink, right? Mm -hmm. And the cargo was cholesterol, triglycerides, bacteria, calcium, whatever it was. But that's what the lipoproteins carried. And now we knew there were two of them. Not only that. 
if you kind of squinted and didn't look too carefully, you could say that the HDL seemed to do more good things, but we're not really sure, but it kind of looks that way. And the LDL, well, let's drive in the cholesterol into the arteries. And it was a very simplistic understanding of these two things, but it was better than total. Mm. Now people had your H, your good cholesterol, the, the most simplistic, dumb oversimplification you can imagine. We had your good cholesterol and your bad cholesterol. Like 1963, there's your flip phone. It's an improvement over this. But we got the iPhone 12, man. They have re magnetic resonance imaging now, and they can look into the cell and see, oh, there's like 13 different kinds of cholesterol. And oh, wait a minute, they come in different sizes. And oh, wait a minute, that has something to do with predicting heart disease. And wait a minute, the real thing that matters is how many lipoproteins you got, not how much cholesterol they're carrying. And we are still using that fucking ancient test mm. that tells us nothing useful. And it wouldn't matter except that all these people who are on statin drugs were prescribed it based on a test that doesn't tell us anything. Wow. Wow. So what test works? What should it, how do we, what do it's we called do? The particle test. It's so simple. They've had it for almost 20, at least a decade. And all the major lab, uh, the lab in our country, it's, it's Quest Labs and LabCorp. They do most of the testing, but I'm sure that the equivalent exists in Australia. And it is simply called, the, there are various versions of it, but it's basically a particle test. And particle is a lipoprotein. It tells you how many lipoproteins are in, because if you're trying to prevent an accident and you're in charge of a marina, you don't give a shit what the cargo of the boats is. You want to know how many boats are in the water because the more boats, the more accidents. Yeah. You're a bouncer in a nightclub. The more people, the more likelihood of a fight, even if they're wonderful people. It's just there's too many people. There's somebody. We want to know how many lipoproteins are in the water, how many boats are in the water. Stop measuring the cargo. These cholesterol tests are telling you, well, that boat only has three towels in the restaurant. I don't care. How many boats are there? Yeah. And that's what the new tests tell. And they're called particle tests, advanced lipid profile. They all have tests like this. And this is where you must insist on this with your doctor. You have to be woke. And just like people are now starting to ask in the grocery store, where did this meat come from? You need to say, where, what test are you giving me? Before you give me a prescription, what is it based on? If it's HDL, that. LDL, I'm not interested. Mm. I love that so much. And I, and I guess, you know, it's such an easy thing to do is just you have the right to ask. And so before just going down a path blind, why not ask for this test, get some real results, and then make an educated decision? And, uh, and I guess without this education that you're sharing, we don't freaking know. We don't know what to ask for. You know, so many of us just go along and we expect the authorities, of course, to advise us correctly. But unfortunately, it's not always the correct information. And, and also, you have to give these doctors a break. They are caught up in the same crappy system you are. They have seven minutes Absolutely. to give an exam. They're afraid of legal uh, ramifications. If they give something that isn't standard practice, the drug companies have made sure that this is standard practice. So the doctors, even if they don't believe it, which they usually do, unfortunately, but even if they didn't, they can't deviate from that and still work in an institution. So you got to you sort of say, look, I have read, here's this, whatever you want to bring in. There's a million references about this and say, these are much more modern tests. My nutritionist, my uh, whatever I'm told is, I want to know why I'm not using that. And they're going to tell you, oh, it doesn't matter. The old one's just as good. And I'm telling you, the old one is not yeah. just as good. Yeah, so, so true.
Thank you for that information, Johnny. I guess I've got another huge question that <laughs> the million sure. billion dollar question is we live in a, in a world where we have so many good resources. We have awesome supermarkets. We've got, you know, quality food around the place. We have, you know, educators, we have gyms, we have all of this cool stuff yet. Uh, I don't know the stats for America, but in Australia, 60% of the population is obese or overweight. Yeah. Over 600,000 kids in Australia are obese or overweight. And I sit here and I think to myself, what is the freaking problem when we have so much opportunity not to go down this path? Why do we continue to see the, you know, health of the world plummet rather than improve, even though the quality of life improves? And I know it's such a big question, but is the answer more education? Is the answer... You know, no. what is it? Or is it meant to, is it actually designed this way because we're following the path of someone pushing us in a direction? I mean, it's a complicated one, but what are your it, views? It's a complicated question and it's a brilliant question. And I'll give you my answer, which might be a little bit different than you might think, because mm -hmm. I think the standard answer is we need more information. I don't believe that that's, I think we always need more information, uh, more education information. That's not the problem. And the way I can make this the clearest is to think of if there's any car salesman in the audience or anybody who sold houses, real estate, houses, cars, ask yourself if people buy those cars because you give them lots of tech data. You tell them what the zero to 60 and the chalk of the wheel and the, da, 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 da. does that buy them? No, people buy them for emotional reasons. Mm. People buy cars and houses and diets because of emotional attachments. Mm. And when you have emotional attachments to foods, and when it has been programmed that those foods are associated with the happiest times of your life, and you see bullshit commercials about flowing fields of wheat and how corn-fed young men, and you think, oh, that's the way you get strong. When that is burned into your brain, information won't budget. Mm. So there is this, I'm not saying I know the answer to that, but I'm saying not enough people are talking about that aspect of it, that part of that problem. They're just talking about it. Let's just give them more information. Let's just give them more information. And unfortunately, in this field and in other fields I read about, um, it isn't always about more that. It's about a more receptive audience, mm -hmm. audiences that is not that programmed and that connected to these things emotionally, and that you have to connect them somehow to a goal mm -hmm that's bigger than their attraction for Cocoa Krispies or whatever chocolate-covered crappy cereal they, they remember from childhood. And if, if you can link that to that feeling, mm. you have a shot at changing their life. I mean, what changed mine was not somebody giving me a list of what a ketogenic diet does to the body. It was like I felt 100% better when I, when I started exercising. Mm. I didn't know anything about physiology or about ATP production or about actin and myosin fibers. I didn't know anything. I just knew, shit, this is cool. And that's really what you got to do. And it's hard with people because these food companies literally produce foods that are addictive. Processed food. There's been books written about it. Look at the book Salt, Sugar, and Fat by Michael Moss. Great investigative reporting about how these food companies literally hire PhD food scientists to create layers of tastes, sugar, salt, and fat that are irresistible. Mm -hmm. So we are, you know, we're not just, we're swimming upstream here. Yeah. And you got to, I shout a lot with this and I get it, but man, you got to get through to people because you're literally talking about programs. We've all been programmed to just love these things and think of them as treats. They're not treats. Mm. 
Not How about if a parent said, okay, I'll let you have the occasional piece of junk or the occasional poison, but come back to reality very soon, as opposed to, okay, you're going to get a treat. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. It's sending the wrong message. And it, and it is, it's creating that programming mentally and emotionally. And I guess this is where the, the psychology element comes into it. And I, I guess one thing we talk about a lot here at Ultimate You is when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, change must happen. And with your story, that sounded like it was the pain that motivated you to shift and change. And it is, I think that's the truth for a lot of people. But everybody. But what can we do to, what's the, other, what's the alternative strategy? How can we not wait to be fucked up and hurt and feel the pain so much or get disease and cancers and things like that before we make a, a decision to move in a, a resourceful direction? Is it more about, I mean, look, there's so many parts, but are we, we, we've got to help our kids. How do we educate the next generation? What, what are we setting up for them? Well, I think it's two separate questions. The parenting question I can't help you with because I've never had to, I don't have, uh, my yes. partner has two twin girls, but yes. uh, I, so I can't tell you that. I, I actually have observed it enough to give you a hint about it, but the hint really only applies to new parents. Mm. And I, I'll stay with that first. Okay. New parents, mm. if you can manage their taste for the first five years of their life, you're done. You, you, you have changed it forever. And the Jesuits wow. used to say this. The Jesuits used to say, give us a child until he is six. He is ours forever. I've only met one family that did this. There was not a junk food in the house. She drank whole uh, unprocessed uh, raw milk. She drank drinks with spirulina. She ate fresh vegetables. I met her when she was six. She had never eaten this crap. She hadn't even gone to, you know, friends' houses yet. And she, mommy, can I have more broccoli? Mommy, can you give me that shake? Those were her taste buds. That's what she thought was great food once that's in there. So if you want to make a difference, parents, you got to start. Now, that's a very hard piece of advice for people who have 10-year-olds or Ooh. teenagers. You can change it. But I'm saying for those of you who are thinking about having kids, you start the day they come home. Wow. Because they will model what you do. And if there's no shit in the refrigerator, guess what? Even if you're trying to change the habit of an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old, you take that out and you substitute, let's say, frozen grapes. They will complain. They will throw a tantrum. And guess what? They'll eat it and they'll forget about it. That's how you change it. Now, for society, I don't know that you can change it like that. I think with society, with having an influence like you do, or all we can do is model what it looks like. I have found that preaching to people, especially when they find out you're a nutritionist, you're at dinner, all of a sudden you're the food police. And, oh, I can't eat that in front of Johnny. I can't eat that in front of Andy. You don't want that shit. What, what you want to do is, just like in life, attract people with who you are. When people talk to me, I mean, I may have a personality that like, rubs a lot of people the wrong way and I may shout a lot. But when people say, hey, how old are you? And I go, next birthday, 75. They say, holy shit. What is he doing? Yes. And that's the only reason people listen to me. Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, so I think what you do is, or if you may have noticed this, let's take it out of the realm of, of, of uh, food and nutrition. Somebody seems to have a kind of preternatural calm about them. They just seem to be in the, no matter what chaos is going on, they just have this beautiful, beatific energy that they seem to be. And you go, what does he have? What, what is he doing? Oh, you meditate? I want to try that. I mean, it's, a tra it's not somebody preaching about meditation. It's not somebody preaching about a religion or a cult or even the cult of fitness that you and I belong to. It's, it's people looking and going, I want some of that. And that's, my, that's all I try to do is like model 
what I think is available. And being almost 75 and going, looking at people 30 years younger than me, who Uber drivers who used to say, dude, I, I can't, I don't have enough energy to make love with my girlfriend. I have to fake an orgasm. They're 36. Mm. And when I, you know, so all I can do is say, there's another way. Yeah. There really is another way. If you're interested, I'll tell you, but I'm not going to push it down anybody's throat. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's our secret weapon is mm. to attract and, and to show, to demonstrate, mm. to use deeds, not words. Yeah. I love that. And there's a, I'd love to dive into a few points that you've brought up there. One sure. of the things that I'm really, well, I think we should get to the libido part and, and nutrition <laughs> and sex. Cause everyone wants to know about that. But before we do touch on that, I'm really very interested in the link between nutrition and anxiety and depression. So, you know, a bit, a bit of story about me. My little brother um, passed away, he committed suicide. And one of the things that I noticed for, for a while there, and obviously, you know, my lifestyle is a lot different, but he was drinking two liters of Coke a day. He was eating just ice cream and, and, and his weight was out of control. And I could just see him going down this path, no matter what I, we said, it, it didn't shift. But I truly believe that movement and food could have mm -hmm. saved his life and, and, should, and can save a lot of people. Could you just tell me your opinion on the linkage there and the effects that it does have on depression, et cetera? Yeah, Andy, this is such a tricky topic because we're kind of peddling blind. There aren't great studies showing that this particular food yeah. has an effect on this particular mood disorder. And there probably never will be. There's no funding for stuff like that. And nobody eats just this food. They eat patterns of foods and menus of foods and styles of eating. Mm. I think, so I think we got to do a lot of observational stuff. And, and if we don't have a randomized double-blind study, we're going to have to use our friggin' common sense, of which yeah. we all have a lot. And we don't give ourselves credit for because there's always somebody on the internet saying, well, there's no studies to show that. Oh, that may be true. My, my nutrition mentor used to say there is not one single double-blind randomized study to show that water puts out fire. But guess what? The New York City Fire Department has noticed anecdotally that it works. So they're using it. So we got to have a little of that. I'm not saying don't trust science, don't listen. But the fact that there isn't a double-blind study on this doesn't mean that some dietary patterns contribute to anxiety, stress, and depression, and others perhaps have a mitigating effect. And you can kind of guess this by seeing little bits of studies here and there about, uh, about stress levels and, and inflammation and about food levels and inflammatory uh, processes and inflammation and anxiety. And there are correlations to be found here, but basically we got to just connect the dots. Mm -hmm. And the dots to me are the sugar, people ask parents, kindergarten teachers, all of them, we may not have a perfect study of it, but sugar makes kids nuts. And you ask my friend Daniel Amen, the psychiatrist, and he looks at the spec strands and he sees, so we see this all the time. We see that high sugar diets make kids jumpy. We know that little boy kids are jumpy to begin with anyway, and this is just making it worse. And we know that these diets are inflammatory. And we know that all these mental things and physical things have inflammation as a big part of the diet. So it's like when I talk to the Autism Hope Alliance every year and I, you know, they, they're, they're also winging it because we don't have great studies. So they exchange information and they go, you know, when I took my kid off, bah, 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 there was less of this behavior. Or if I gave this to him, he was a little calmer. You just, you got to be citizen scientists on this stuff. Mm -hmm. 
It's a great expression that I got from a, a, a professor, citizen scientists, because we don't have great studies on this. So we need to share the information that we have, not be crazy with conspiracy theories. But if you find that giving a kid more colorful foods and more fibrous foods and more protein and meat and less gold chips or whatever those crackers are that they and you see a difference, share that information. It makes sense. It passes the smell test. Yeah. And other than that, I can't tell you any specific food, but I can tell you patterns of eating that make people crazy probably are not the way to go. Yeah, so true. I love that, citizen scientists. And it's so, so relevant. I mean, ask better questions when you're consuming food. Ask I better questions. Yeah. Saturday night, I have a, a whole bunch of ice cream and pizza and I wake up the next day and I'm feeling a lot different than if I have my uh, steak and sweet potato and it's a whole different story. So you got to tune in, don't you? But you've got to be able to ask better questions and recognize how you're feeling when you behave like this and have these certain foods. I mean, that's the, that's the answer, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Johnny, what's your opinion on fertility? And you just mentioned, you know, you have uh, potentially some men coming to you with really low libidos, et cetera. And what is the linkage there with nutrition and, uh, and our sex drive and fertility? Well, I can't speak to fertility because that's a medical specialty about which I know very little, like what the, the content of the sperm is, but I do know a little bit about the production of it. Um, and I had a, a wonderful um, MD friend of mine who had a saying, and it's going to not make sense in a minute but I'm, when I first tell it to you, but I'm going to make it make sense. He said, I've never seen a case of ED. There wasn't also a case of ED. Let me explain. So ED stands for two things. One of them is erectile dysfunction. Everybody knows that, right? So a case of ED. The other one is called endothelial dysfunction. And that is what happens in the circulatory system when the walls of the arteries don't perform right, when you're getting plaque, when you're getting inflammation, and all those linings of the arteries start to get all, it's like a fence that has like all kind of broken links in it and things like that. And that's called endothelial because that's the lining of the arteries, the endothelial lining. They get dysfunctional. You get leaky gut when it happens in the gut. You get breaks in the arteries and, and plaque formation when it happens in the arteries. Endothelial dysfunction is huge. It's a big friggin' thing, and it, it underlines a lot of diseases. And what, what, what the doctor was saying was, I've never seen a case of erectile dysfunction that wasn't also a case of endothelial dysfunction. Mm. So what do we know about endothelial dysfunction? Inflammatory foods, medicines, stresses pollutants in the air. All of this stuff creates the kinds of injuries in the endothelial wall that produce endothelial dysfunction in the arteries and leaky gut in the gut. All of those are linked to erectile dysfunction. Nitric oxide, which is produced, and it's this wonderful compound that opens up the arteries and it's great and it's important for, you're not doing that if, you're, if you've got inflamed arteries and, and, and inflamed endothelial wall. So there is a connection between, between healing the endothelium and the circulation and, and all the rest of the good stuff that goes with it that leads to better erection. Now, look, as you and I know, the psychology of erections is very complicated. And what gives, you know, what turns people on or what makes them, you know, the anxieties that get in the way, it's just endless. It's very, not as complicated as women, but complicated enough that anyone who says the cause is this is is you know throwing but certainly a contributing factor 
mm. is the health of the circulatory system mm. and the ability to have endurance and, and the ability to, you know, have blood pumping and, and all of that stuff. And that is very related to diet. There's no question about it. Mm. Yeah, very true. Great info. For all the lads out there that need, uh, need to know this, make sure that you're listening and take notes. And I, I guess I want to give people some, a few hacks right now because there's so much to focus on. And I guess sure. if you can condense your expertise quickly for people, they're going to get a, a big bang for buck out of this chat. And so I guess I want to ask you, what are your top three nutrition myths that we need to bust right now and know to give us a really, a really good head start on our health and, uh, and wellness journey? Well, my, my temptation is to say tip number one is forget everything you've ever learned about nutrition and health, but that's not true. I guess if I had to pick three, I mean, off the top of my head, the first would be that, you, that anyone who still thinks the low-fat diet is a great way to lose weight and get healthy and prevent heart disease really needs to rethink that. Um, it's, it, it's not that no one has ever been successful on a low-fat diet. Nobody's going to be crazy enough to say that, but it's very hard, very rare and the studies don't support it. So everything we learned about fat, we need to unlearn and start to realize the power of having good, healthy fats in our diet, and not just having them in there and tolerating them, but actively seeking them out. I mean, most of my diet is fat and protein with a tiny bit of carbs. So that's the, the low-fat myth would be one that I would want to get rid of. Um, I've never been, I don't know if this is one of my top three, but, but probably it's up there, the, 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 the god-awful notion that Vitamins and supplements only give you expensive urine and that they're useful, useless and that you can get everything you need in food. And part of this comes from us not asking the right questions or having the right definitions. Can you get everything you need from food? Yes, if what you mean by need is preventing a nutritional deficiency disease like beriberi or rickets. I've been in practice 30 years. I've never seen a case of rickets or beriberi. We're not interested in just preventing a nutritional deficiency disease like scurvy, we're interested in performance and optimal performance. And we do not get those amounts of nutrients from foods. And we do need supplements to get them if we want those optimal amounts. And there are some of these nutrients like coenzyme Q10 and alpha lipoic acid that you don't even get from food. There's, not, there's one milligram in food and it's in foods you don't even eat. Mm -hmm. So yes, uh, the, the notion that supplements are all bullshit and that they don't do anything is just not true. And it's still proselytizing. I'll give you, I, you're going to love this because you were in the IFBB. Here's how I demolish the expensive urine hypothesis. I am going to give you my secret. Any doctor that you ever get on the stage with who says, oh, supplements just give you expensive urine, this is going to do. You ready, folks? Bodybuilder uses steroids to become Mr. Olympia. The steroids show up in their urine, don't they? Does that mean it didn't work on the way down? True. Very true. <laughs> So you mean if you measured vitamin C in my urine, there was no effect on the cells while it was circulating, right? Or you talk to a drug addict about cocaine use. They check for cocaine and that shows up. In the, so he didn't have a Saturday night of partying on an eight ball because, oh, you saw it in the urine. It was useless, right? Yes. Yeah. It's a lie. So that's number two. And the third one, this is a piece of, this was the best nutrition advice I ever got in my life. It's three words. And it's the best nutrition advice I've ever given in my life. And it's three words, as I said. And when people ask me to sum up everything, this is what I say. Eat real food. And let me explain that. 
I'm talking about food your great, 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 great grandmother would know exactly what it is if you showed her. And that eliminates 90% of the crap in the grocery store. They don't know what Lunchables are and they don't know what juice in a box is, but they know what a steak is. And they know what cauliflower is and they know what nuts are. So I call real food food that you could have hunted, fished, gathered, or plucked. If you're not sure whether it's real food or not, it's probably not thawed out. Food that would spoil. Now, I see that as more important than macros, calories, um, almost any metric you can look at. It's not that those things don't matter, but the rest are all details. If you eat real food with the fiber it came with, with the, for God's sake, with the fat that it came with, and you don't eat the processed stuff, you will have a health bump, a 10x health bump, even if you don't reach every single metric you want, that is the most bang for the buck in any nutrition advice. And I've written books, like you mentioned, The Living Low Carb, that went through reviewing 38 diets in the first edition, and then 28 in the second, and 14 more in the third edition, until I finally got it down to four basic ways of thinking about this. Um, it, they are all details. If you can stick with eating real food, the rest is details. And then people like you who work with individuals can fine tune. I think you would do better with a higher fat, lower protein. I think you'd be better with more. I think you might even do well with vegan, whatever it is. But dude, it's got to be real food. We, when I was at Equinox, we used to have what we call Twinkie vegetarians, which were, I won't eat anything with a face. So they're healthy, right? But they eat pasta. They eat Twinkies. They, it's all vegan. So you got to get over the, the, the attachment to a diet or a program and think in terms of, is this actual food? And if you do that, if I leave you with that message, that'll even fix insulin resistance most of the time. Yeah, so true. Powerful. It's simple, but not easy sometimes. But I think it's that understanding and then, of course, repetition. Once you ingrain it, I mean, this really does change your life and your energy. And I always go on about energy. And clearly, I mean, did you say you're about to turn 75? I did. Well, it's a little ways away. I was just 74. 74 yeah. years old and bouncing off the walls with passion. <laughs> I mean, this is, what we, this is what we want in life, right? We want to feel better, have more confidence, have that energy exuding, and it does come from how we fuel our body. I mean, again, I don't know why so many people don't understand this yet, but hopefully with this message coming out, you know, more people will. Do you mind if I ask you a few personal questions about your writing and your book and also um, your relationship with some other experts. So I first yeah. heard about you through Charles Poliquin. And, yes. you know, he was a great mentor to me, really helped me in, in my start in the industry. I learned so, so many people. Brilliant man, but he was a huge advocate of you. He used to rave about you, talk about you. He actually gave me your book for the first time, uh, uh, Living the Low-Carb Life. Just tell me a little bit about your relationship with him and um, – yeah, and I guess how you feel with his passing, etc. Oh, I was very sad to, uh, when, when he passed away. He was a, a real unique figure. And, and uh, for those who didn't know him, incredibly educated, spoke seven languages. I mean, just, uh, I, when I started at Equinox and I was training at different gyms, there would be little posters that they'd put at some of the other gyms. Coach coming to town, Coach Poliquin, there's a book, there's a this, there's a column, there's a course. And I had heard about Coach Poliquin. He was like Mickey Mantle, like, you know, in the, in the New York Yankees. I mean, he was like a, a, a kind of mythical figure in yeah. that. And I sort of forgot about it over the years. And then I started studying nutrition and I went to a seminar at a, a hotel. And there's this guy sitting there in the audience 
studying with the guy that I, who was my mentor, Robert Crown. And there's this guy and he's clearly like friggin' got 19 inch gun. He's really, <laughs> and there was some kind of bodybuilding event nearby. So all of these bodybuilders were like making a pilgrimage. And I'm sitting in the, in the, in the room where we're doing the classes and there's this guy there and these guys are coming up and like almost literally like kissing his ring and getting, and I go, um, uh, who, <laughs> who the fuck are, who are you? Yeah. And he says, Charles Poliquin. I put together, you know, all of that. Yeah. And that's how we met. Right. And we studied with the same guy. Mm. And how impressed, by the way, can I point out, this guy is so successful. He's got training centers all around the world. He's in the classroom mm. with me. Yeah. And I've seen that time and time again. I went to the American College of Nutrition Conference a couple of years ago before the pandemic. Next to me is sitting in an older gentleman, mm. parched over his thing, taking copious notes. It's mm. Kenneth Cooper who invented aerobics <laughs> at 83, wow. and he's still learning. Wow, I love that. I love that. So, and that's so that, was my, that was my introduction to Charles. And then Charles started this wonderful certification program for trainers in level one, level two, level three, level four. And he asked me to honor me by asking me to write the nutrition manual. Mm. So I wrote the nutrition manual for his trainers. If you've been trained by Charles Poliquin, you probably used my nutrition manual. Mm. And um, I, although I'm sure he updated it, you know, in, in the last few years, but it, it was, that was pretty much what they, they used. And a couple of times he did a certification like in Ireland and I flew out and did the nutrition segment of it and stuff. So he was, he was a great guy. I ran into him recently, recently, a couple of years ago, 2018 at Dave Asprey's. Um, he has a conference called a biohacking conference and I spoke at it and Charles was there and Joe Mercola was there. And so that's the last time I saw him, but great guy, nothing but good things to say about him. He was wonderful. Amazing. Amazing. And you guys, again, changed so many lives and uh, I love how it comes full circle and the impact, just the ripple effect is, is massive. Yeah. I guess my final question on, on a personal level is, as I mentioned, you, you are this, you know, nutrition warrior and in my words, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure people have said that about you before. And with that comes conflict and critics and naysayers. And then of course, raving fans and everything, all of the above. And so I guess I want to ask you as one of those thought leaders, as someone that is leading from the front and sharing a message, you are going to get positive and negative and Often what happens is it can cloud your mind and bring you down and change your energy. How do you deal with the critics and the naysayers and how do you keep so focused on that, that vision and that goal and that message? What drives you beyond the, the critics? I, I, think it's, um, I think part of it is, is an age thing. I think mm -hmm. that as people, there is good, solid, published research showing that as people get older, they get happier. Yeah. And what it really is, is they get, they don't really, it, it, what they get is better mm. at managing their resources mm. and understanding how to flow with things. Mm. So they don't get so miserable and plugged in. And, and I think that's happened a lot for me as the, as I've gotten, I've worked on my meditation practice. I, I, I I'm an aspiring practicing stoic. I, I practice that philosophy. I read and listen to Ryan Holland and do all that stuff. I spend time every morning journaling. Um, I play tennis two hours a day. And I think as all of that has kind of settled in, some of the ebb and flow, it, it becomes you look more at the big tides and less at the little ripples. It's like the stock market. You look at the long range, you go crazy looking at the everyday. It, and I think 
I've now had accumulated thank you audiences everywhere. I couldn't thank everyone enough for that. I've gotten enough wonderful feedback of people who really like me that it kind of balances the people who really, and now, and enough perspective to know that there's always going to be people who hate you and there's always going to be, hopefully there'll be more of the ones who like you. And I kind of love them both. And I don't hate my, the people who don't like me. And I try to continue to attract as much as I can. And, and so it's not, I've had enough letters written about like, who is this quack? And when I started out, I still thought I am a quack. Mm. They found me out. Yeah. I had that imposter syndrome that I've got to tell you, you have no idea how many people have this. Mm. And even people who are incredibly successful have it. And it's the feeling that, any minute, they're all going to find out you're a fraud and, and the jig is up, you know, and, and Andy isn't like this great motivational guy who did all this IFBB and Johnny Bowden, his degree isn't even any good and he doesn't know what he's, and after a while, it just doesn't, it, it kind of falls off you because there's so much good. And, you know, I always had the feeling, uh, Malcolm X said this once, he said that when I'm speaking to an audience of a thousand, I don't expect to convert a thousand people. I, if I can connect with one human being and turn their life around and make that change, success, man. And so I feel like this. I get nine people who write back and say, oh, he talks too fast and he does this and he doesn't know blah, 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 blah. But I get one who say, because of you, this happened. I'm good, man. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And look, I think it's fair to say there are hundreds of thousands of people that have had that impact while you're Johnny and I'm one of them. And, uh, and so is so, you, much, so many of my team, so many Australians. And uh, you've got a lot of fans here in Australia, that's for sure. I'd Find a way to bring me over, man. I'm I, telling you, my bags are packed. <laughs> like, we're going to have to plan this. As soon as we get some flights happening, we need to get huh? you over here for sure. But Johnny, love it. where can we find out more about you? You've got two amazing books behind you, Living Low Carb and The Great Cholesterol Myth, so many more. My uh, books are on Amazon. Yeah. My books are on Amazon. I have a website, even though nobody uses websites anymore, but you can reach me through it. It's J-O-N-N-Y, johnnybowden.com. And I'm on Instagram at Johnny Bowden and on Facebook um, as Dr. Johnny Bowden. So I'm, I'm reachable. Uh, Johnny, thank you so much, my friend. You are a, an you. absolute change agent in this world. Keep fighting the good fight. And uh, again, thank you, thank you enough. I, I couldn't thank you enough for this opportunity. It was really wonderful talking to you. I appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. All right. Mate, thank you. Dude, that was so fun. Uh, I really appreciate that. I think we got a lot, of, a lot of value in that short amount of time. Oh, I hope so. Please give me the feedback, any feedback that you get, even if it's negative. I'd love to hear what people... Oh, for sure, I will. But I'd love to I... do a few more of these. I mean, again, you're any, any time you want. Just write to me. Make sure you copy Jody because I, I get overwhelmed with the amount of email yeah. and I miss things that I don't mean to miss, but yeah. she doesn't. So yeah. thank you.